Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome back to Why Would You Tell Me That? With me, Dave Moore, and him, Neil Delamere. Uh, we are everywhere. We're on social media. We're absolute social media whores. You'll find us on every format possible. Um, mostly Instagram, I have to say, for our uh, for our podcast stuff. So at Why Would You Tell Me That? is where you'll find the podcast. At Neil Delamere Comedy is where you'll find him. At Dave Today FM is where you'll find me. And then, of course, we would love if whatever platform you listen to this on, whether it is something that has the word follow or the word subscribe or the word love or the word, oh God, these guys are so awesome. Whatever it is, just click it. And it means that more people will know about us because our numbers from that point of view will go up. And if you could leave us a review on anything, whatever, like right on the back of a napkin and just leave it in the toilet of a restaurant, just any kind of a review that ups our <laughs> profile would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, serviette stroke napkin-based reviews. I mean, are a well-known currency within the podcasting industry. <laughs> hey, Not enough people know this. I'm going to start an app, just take out the vowels, N-P-K-N, napkin, and it's going to be a review <laughs> app. You don't know. I, I could be onto something amazing here, Neil Delamere. <laughs> yes, you could be, but let's assume that you're not. Um, <laughs> and we're also proudly part of the Acast Creator Network. Yes, we are. We're also part of the Neil and Dave Creator Network, which is basically one of us trying to outfact the other one. Today, it is the turn of Mr. Neil Delamere to wow us all. But mostly, as he's staring down the camera at me, he's trying to wow me. Wow, you! I'm still. We're still, and forever, hopefully, will be in the courting phase yes. of our podcast relationship. It'll never be properly consumed. Consumed. That's not the word I'm looking for. No. What's the word I'm looking for? Cons- um, consummated. Consummated. That's the word I'm for. <laughs> for a minute there, I was thinking consummate, gonna... <laughs> and I was like, "No, consummate is definitely some kind of a food." That's wrong as well. Basically, I'm going to shag you and then eat you. I'm going <laughs> to consummate this. Then I'm going to consume you. Let's hope this never happens. Okay. In part two, we're going to be talking to Dr. Jamie Gallagher. Uh, He's a science communicator with a PhD in chemistry and electrical engineering. And I met him because our old mate from season one, Simon Watt, who did the Myers Suriname toad that got a huge response from people in season one. We were doing a show together and he had Dr. Jamie Gallagher as another guest. And I said, you were coming on the podcast to talk about something he mentioned in passing, which is... The strangest beach in the UK, it's radioactive. <laughs> it's like he mentioned that in passing. 
<laughs> well, listen, the, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival is very uh, pressured time. So people <laughs> talk to you about all sorts of weird stuff. And we got talking about this and I said, you're coming on. So that's okay. what we're going to talk to him about. A radioactive beach. Yeah, why it's radioactive, where it is, what uses. Then we might broaden it out a little bit to the rest of the radioactive world. Let me tell love you it. about that. Love it. So we're going to talk about that. And because I started thinking about sand and rocks and geology mm. and all that sort of stuff, let's go down that route in part one. You know that there's a beach in Ackle Island in Mayo that fucked off. What? In 1984, don't you? No. So it was there. Went away. Where did it go? On holidays to another beach. (laughs) It went. Yeah, it was a working holiday. It was there in 1984. It had been there, like in everybody's living memory. And then one night there was a storm, and it was gone, gone. (laughs) Okay, but like I, I, like I don't understand. Like what was there in its place? Um, sea and rocks. But all the sand was gone. The young people listening to this think we are joking, but this is how shy things were in the 1980s. Beaches emigrated to America looking for work. He went to America. He got a job there as a bunker in a golf course. His cousin was working as a long jump hit. And then after 33 years, he knew exactly the right time to come back because his uncle was an hourglass. And... (laughs) This is getting more surreal than I thought it would be. Well, beautifully so. But 2017, people looked out the window and it was back again. 300 metres of proper sandy beach was back again. Yeah. After a freak tide. Now, it went again in 2019 and I was literally on social media today saying, is the beach still there? It's uh, Dua Beach in uh, Mayo, uh, Ackle. And I said, this is still there. And I said, yeah, but not quite in the same quantities in the breadth and width and all the rest. But it is back. I'm trying to understand this, as I'm sure most of our listeners are, apart from those in Mayo who know Dua Beach. But when you say it went away, do you just mean it was submerged? Or was it to the point where there was no sand? And then at one point, there were like 300 meters of sand. Sand go bye-bye. Sand go bye-bye, sand come home. Sand go bye-bye, sand come home. Yeah, it it was because sand is in certain tidal areas, it's it's deposited by tides and wind sure. and storms and all the rest. So it there was a massive storm in 84 and it just took the sand away. So you were left with rock pools and then a freak tide brought it back. That's like, I don't think we, we don't even need to go to the radioactive beach. That's one of the maddest <laughs> things I've ever heard. That's the first thing you're hitting me with in part one. Yeah, now, now we're going on to rocks. So okay. I did a radio show uh, a while ago with uh, David Mitchell. Ooh, name drop. Disappointing. And I thought you were going to say you did a radio show with a rock, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's called The Unbelievable Truth, right? So you right. have to h- hide some uh, truths in amongst lies about a subject. And I did okay. rocks. So there was all sorts of stuff in there, like the hardest rock on earth is diamond and the softest rock is Bon Jovi. Um <laughs> 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 yeah, that kind of caught him by surprise as well. Um, fundamentalist cleric. Do you remember Abu Hamza? He yeah. famously hated rock, paper, scissors, that game. <laughs> Frustrated that his version, hook, hook, question mark, never really took off. <laughs> so I had to drop in all these things. Can I tell you what my favorite line of the whole thing was? I was so proud of this. As a child, this is what I said, Princess Anne uh, tried to incubate five pebbles using a heat lamp after Prince Charles, now King Charles, convinced her that there were lizard eggs. And this process only stopped when Sting rang her and told her that there were rocks and you don't have to put on a red <laughs> light. <laughs> Get out! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> uh, and I dragged it out for ages. Sting! 
I thought you would like that. Yeah, I would definitely appreciate that. But one of my first facts, and this is a genuine fact, and I know how much no, you No, you see, this. I don't know if I'm going to believe you now, but go on, go on. Go no, on. this is a hand on heart. Okay. When a potential meteorite turns out to just be an earth rock, geologists call it a meteor wrong. No. No, it's true. I promise. It's true. <laughs> I was reading it about it on NASA website yesterday. So hang on. So this means that then a piece of Earth has, has for some reason, been jettisoned at some point into the atmosphere around us, presumably, has been orbiting. And when it re-enters... No, 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 no. If you look, if you pick up a rock and you go, oh, this is a meteorite, and then it turns out, actually, no, it's not a meteorite. <sighs> it's called a meteor wrong. <laughs> I'm going to use that in some form, and you're going to be sitting behind me going, ha! You idiot! <laughs> no, no, of I'm course you. I was lying. I promise, I promise. Yeah. But hang on, is this, is this, this isn't some kind of official, like, geological term. This is like scientists having a laugh. The, yeah, it is scientists having a laugh, but they do they use do the use term. It. I think okay. it's great. I think we should expand it. I think builders should have to go, we accidentally made your house out of pyrong. <laughs> I wish they made my house out of pyrong when I had to deal with it for 15 years. But anyway, let's not relive that moment. Okay, let me ask you, sticking with rocks, what's the weirdest thing you've ever bought at auction? Wow, what a question. Um, okay, well, I didn't, I didn't manage to buy it because I was outbid, but it is an incredible story, right? Oh, good. We've discussed before that if I were to go on Mastermind, just like you did, Neil, and did Father so well Ted. in Mastermind, yeah, that I would do Father Ted. Father Ted is something in which I am fluent. I've never been defeated by one of those online quizzes. No one has ever come on the radio and been able to best me. In fact, the last guy who came on who said that he was also a quiz master, Father Ted, yeah. I think I beat him 19 nil. I actually argued that the 20th question that they asked me, they actually had the answer wrong, but that's irrelevant. So Father Ted is my thing. You kicked his ass like them and the bishop, basically. <laughs> yeah, I kicked him like kicking Bishop Brennan up the arse. That's exactly yeah. it. I kicked him so hard that he turned around and I went, why would I do that to you? <laughs> and gaslit him. Okay. Yeah. So I heard there was a Father Ted night to celebrate Father Ted and Dermot Morgan, who obviously had passed away, to celebrate him and Father Ted in Vicar Street. So I grabbed my wife, we got tickets, and we went along. This is going to be phenomenal. And it was everything you can imagine. There were former priests from the Father Ted, comedians up talking, and, and there was Graham Linehan was there, and Arthur Matthews were there, and they were talking about all the writing of the scripts and directing the episodes and whatever. And then it came to a very exciting charity auction. And so they were auctioning off bits and pieces. And then they said, we have a working script from one of the episodes. So it's a script that either the director or the assistant director or the cameraman or the lighting, or someone had it. It was leafed. There were notes. Ooh. This is a piece of his. Now, bear in mind, I own, and this, this is a Father Ted reference that I don't know if you're going to get, but I own a bottle of 1991 Jacob's Creek Chardonnay. Right. See nothing blank, blank, not, blank. Not, yeah. Didn't get to it. a Father Ted fan, it's like, oh my God, you own a 1991 Jacobs Creek Chardonnay. If you don't get it, it's a Father Jack reference. But anyway, you should know. If you don't know, you're not in the same league as me. Anyway, this is the kind of thing I own. So I'm like, I need the script. My wife's like, yeah, but like, don't go crazy now. I was like, no, but, but I need the script. So bang, we start auctioning. I'm the first hand. I'm like, 50 euro. Yeah, 50 euro. Yeah, yeah. 60 euro, 70, so bang over back. I'm like, 100 euro. And like, 100 euro is the guy over there. It's back and forth. And it's about, I think it's about 210. I look at my wife and she goes, just kind of gives me that stare. And I look at her again and she goes, go on. And I go, 500 euro. Right? <laughs> Hold on now. <laughs> 210. What sort of stare was it that your wife gave you? <laughs> but it was doing that thing that it does. Like, 
160, 170, 180, 190. And I just went, I just went, I need these guys out of it. I'm going to blow them out. I, I will spend yeah. 500 quid on this script. Yeah. 500 quid. And they're like, okay, 500 euro to the man over there. Going, going. And then this kind of strange voice goes, a thousand euro. Slightly British, slightly weird accent. And I was like, a thousand? Yeah. Well, I'm not competing against that. So I held my hands up and he went, going one, going twice. Sold in the front row to Krista Berg. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so I was celebrity outbid <laughs> by a man whose riches dwarf mine by numbers that we can't even comprehend. And he was just sitting there waiting, going, I'm just going to blow one of these idiots out of the water. That guy <laughs> doubled my offer. I had no chance. I was never going to spend that much money on it. But yeah. I would just suggest, you know, you said, oh, I held my hands up. Uh, that's the wrong thing to do at an auction if you're trying to not bid <laughs> anymore. You could have accidentally bid on anything at that stage. 500 from that guy. Oh, six, seven, he's got two hands up. 800 euro from the same guy. And his wife has stared at him. He's outbidding himself. He's lost the run of himself. So Christopher, and was he a man? Have you, have you spoken nope. to him? Obviously, in your work on the radio, have you spoken to Christopher? I spoke to Christopher once, but it was actually before the Father Ted thing. This is what we need to do. We need to get extra traction for this podcast. You know, so yeah. we need to start doing tabloidy stuff. So okay, okay, okay. If, if you're a tabloid person listening to this, could you please write it uh, thus? Dave Moore no longer speaks to Christopher after he was outbid. A charity auction. A charity auction. Like a grand to Christopher isn't even uh, one bar of Spanish train, is it, in a pub no, somewhere? not even. Yeah, exactly. Not even one bar. So, yeah, I spoke to his daughter, Rosanna Davidson, before, and I told her the story, and she kind of went, <laughs> okay. <laughs> She's not interested in my amazing Christopher <laughs> stories, which, to be fair, I completely understand. But anyway, no. that doesn't really answer your question. Your question was, what's the strangest thing I've ever bought at auction? That's the strangest things I never bought at auction. Okay, no, that's close. No, and it's well worth... I, I'm going to store that for stuff <laughs> to abuse you about in the, in the future. I think the weirdest thing that I've ever come across has been bought at auction happened in 1915. Remember what we're talking about here. I love the way you, you just, you gave me the impression that you were there. The yes. The I ever came across at auction was in 1915. Uh, oh, wait, did I say I'm an eternal life guy? <laughs> Well, I don't know if you listened to episode one uh, of season two, but uh, bats are the secret to eternal life. So uh, I've been sucking off a pit pistol. <laughs> okay, this podcast is definitely taking turns I did not expect today. But yeah, fine. I mean, I, pres- I presume you mean proteins and hormones, but maybe no. you just worded it wrong. <laughs> no, 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 I worded it for maximum impact. It's definitely a sentence I never thought I'd say. I was sucking up a paper. <laughs> that's, what, that's what this podcast will give you. Sentences you never thought you'd say. So I came across this in 2015 because mm. it was 100 years since this um, particular auction had happened. So Wiltshire-born Cecil Chubb. Okay, right. now that's right a clue. Uh, goes along to an auction, and apparently, legend has it as his wife goes, "Listen, you're going off to buy dining chairs." Right, and he goes, and he doesn't buy dining chairs at this auction because he does what every man does. He's his his eye gets turned. Yeah, he doesn't buy dining chairs. Do you know what he buys? What Stonehenge? <laughs> he buys Stonehenge. <laughs> Christ knows how he got into the car. I didn't see. <laughs> The end of the story. <laughs> 21st of September, 1915, he finds himself. This is how it was phrased in what I said. He finds himself as yeah. if it's completely beyond his control. Listen, I was a victim of circumstance. Lot number 15, Stonehenge, with about 30 acres, two rods, 37 purchase of adjoining downland. Uh, rods and purchase are areas of land, which I actually okay, didn't okay. until I looked this up. Right. And um, he buys it. £6,600 
How expensive were the dining chairs his missus was sending them out for? <laughs> Six in 1915. Listen, I didn't get the dining chairs <laughs> that were made out of solid gold. So hang on, £6,000. That's a lot of money at the time, six, I'm sure. Six, yeah. But it still seems cheap for Stonehenge. Yeah, well, I was. It wasn't in a particularly good nick at this point, as far as I know. Uh, and he did get the the land beside it. We don't know what his intention was to, to do with them necessarily. The rumor is that Paul O'Connell's family were playing cricket in the area and they needed a wicket, and <laughs> Cecil Chubb just did the deal. But one way or the other, he purchased Stonehenge or Jenga for bears, as I like to call it. <laughs> the worst, the worst prison ever made. <laughs> yeah, and the suge- the suggestion was. Um, when I look at it, I always think Druids just got off their face smoking something and were like, why don't we make something that looks like pie, but loads of them. <laughs> loads, the, of them. loads of pie. The suggestion was it was a, an engagement present for his missus because her name was on the deeds as well as his name. And in three years later, he must have been absolutely minted, he gave it to the nation. He just bequeathed it to the nation? Yep, yep. And it's one of the most visited sites in, in the UK now. That is Balubus. Now, one last rock-related fact, right? You often see rocks in one form or the other, um, markers, uh, graves, cairns, tombs, and the like, right? Yeah. So in ye olden days, people were often buried with things that represented them in life. If you look at Viking burials, for example, and earlier ones. So if you were an archer, you'd be buried with a bow, maybe. If you were a warrior, you'd be buried with a sword. Dave, you're a Man United fan, so you would be buried alone and in an unmarked grave. (laughs) Uh, JFK... Was buried with the bone that wasn't his. What? Mm. Did he ask for the bone to be included or did somebody make a mistake? Yeah, wow, a mistaken bone. God, Oliver Stone would have a field day with that, wouldn't he? <laughs> no, it was a very deliberate action. He was a massive fan of Scrimshaw. Do you know what Scrimshaw, Scrimshaw? is? Scrimshaw was a Radio 1 DJ who aged out of Radio 1. No, Scrimshaw. <laughs> Nick Scrimshaw. <laughs> Nick Scrimshaw. Scrimshaw is uh, the whaler's art, which is, you, you see them really really ornate carving on whale, whale bone, bone or tooth yes right so he was obviously jfk was in the navy in the second world war and also grew up on the coast Nantucket yeah. and all the rest big fan of scrimshaw and had lots of various different items of it around his office jackie onassis uh, jackie candy at the time got him one christmas for in 1962 a scrimshaw piece of art, which was the presidential seal carved onto... Out of a whale tooth or whale bone. Yeah, yeah. And he loved it so much that she slipped it into his coffin when he was being buried. It's really touching, I think. That is lovely, yeah. And also sad, but uh, yeah, but really lovely. This has been utterly fascinating, Neil Delmer. You've done extremely well. Well, thank you very much. I thought you'd yeah, like I mean, that. It's, it's rare. That's why I'm congratulating you. Cause, like... Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I think... In years to come, you're going to remember two things from this. A beach that fucked off and the phrase sucked off a pipistrel. <laughs> yeah, well, which is not necessarily what I'd like on my gravestone. You remember the trailer I cut in season one? I needed all these little <laughs> phrases from you. So you know there's one of them coming in the middle of season two. And that's oh, going to be in my. it. Oh, my. And the great thing is, you've now said it like three times. And each time it's gotten clearer. So I've got so many options to choose from. <laughs> I might even be able to put multiple ones in the trailer. I reckon this is this will be the first cross species trailer where if you can change the pitch in it, the pipistrel itself will hear us. <laughs> that poor fella's gone through enough as it is. He doesn't okay. need to hear that. Okay, we better step away from that then. Uh, join us in part two. We're going to be talking to Dr. Jamie Gallagher about a radioactive beach. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Well, welcome back to part two of Why Would You Tell Me That? We are going to be talking to Dr. Jamie Gallagher. He's on the line there now. He's a science communicator with a PhD in chemistry and electrical engineering. And he's going to tell us about one of the weirdest beaches in the UK, uh, as long as he can drag himself away from watching Star Trek, because he's a massive Trekkie as well. Jamie, how are you? I'm all right. Yeah, yeah. Star Trek is finished for the day. I'm in full science communicator mode. <laughs> if you, you can pick up uh, Jamie's Scottish accent there, it might be a clue to the uh, location of what we talked about at the start of the show, a radioactive beach. Let's get into this, Jamie. Yeah. Where is yeah. this radioactive beach, first of all? It is in Scotland and it is the UK's only radioactive beach. And it's in Dalgary Bay, which is just across from Edinburgh. Now, I'll stop you there for a second, because you're billing this as if it's some kind of, like, tourist attraction. The UK's only radioactive beach. <laughs> Why do I want to go there? For chemists, it totally is. Like, okay. I, I love this stuff. I love going to, like, like places where elements have been discovered or um, weird uses, weird facts like that. So, yeah, if you're, if you're into this stuff, it's a tourist destination. But okay. you need to be careful. Yes. So how radioactive is it, then? Well, I mean, it's not terribly dangerous um like the, the government have advised that you exercise a little bit of caution if you go there um for example you might not want your children to build a sandcastle that is genuinely on the government website this is what they're advising don't let your children dig in the sand other than that you're fine um it does say when it gets to pets though guidance over pets it just says 
we don't give any guidance. Oh, so it's just on your on your own there. If your dog picks up something on this beach, you know, you're on your own. <laughs> well, listen, I live right beside the beach, and dog owners walk down there, and I'm not sure what the dogs are doing on the beach, but it looks radioactive and it's absolutely disgusting. And pick up after yourselves, you animals. Well, not your animals. It's it's the owner again. You need to be factually accurate here. <laughs> yeah. Um, fair. So the first question, uh, apart from the location, is is why it's not naturally radioactive, is it? It's it's not, and it's, it's it's a long story. And at first, they weren't terribly sure why. Basically, what happened was there were objects being discovered on this beach, and the objects were radioactive. And they thought, well, where on earth are they coming from? And they found out what they were first of all. So they are they are from aircraft in World War Two, and they are oh. the glow in the dark dials from these aircraft. And it turns out, at the end of the war, when you've got too many planes and you don't need them, what do you do with them? You just dump them in the ocean. Like, if you've got too many planes, just, just get rid of them. Just dump them there. And gradually, in the 1990s, parts of these aircraft started washing up on the shores just across from Edinburgh. And that's what's giving the radioactivity. Now I'm terrified because my granddad, who worked in aviation, who was not in the war in any way whatsoever, but he did work in aviation, and he took a compass from a World War II fighter plane and it you could turn it and it would it would obviously show you the north, south, east, west, whatever, and it was floating in alcohol. And at night it glowed in the dark. And I had it in my bedroom beside my bed forever. And is that why I now need to go and get this thing checked at the side of my head? That genuinely will probably be radioactive. Yeah, wow. it's probably radium paint, and it will have been giving off radiation. She's your granddad who died at twenty nine, Dave. <laughs> he did four Ready Break ads and then died at twenty nine, and you never thought that there was anything remotely wrong with him. He never put two and two together and got the compass. No. <laughs> so it's kind of like Beaufort's Dyke, which is that massive trench in between. Um, uh, Scotland and Northern Ireland, which is where all the munitions were dumped. And one of the things, if they ever wanted to build that bridge or that tunnel between Scotland and Northern Ireland, that's trying to figure out a way to get around that. How long will it be radioactive, do we know, Jamie? Well, they're trying to clear it up. They've been trying to clear it up just this year. First of all, they just didn't know who was responsible for clearing it up. Is it the Ministry of Defence for dumping the planes? Is it the council for not disposing of rubbish properly? Is it the government? They didn't know who. Eventually, they sorted someone to pay for it. And over the past year, they've been trying to collect up all the objects and dispose of them. If you just wait for it to naturally kind of cure itself, the half-life of radium, so the, the length of time it'll take to become half as radio- radioactive as it is just now, is 1,600 years. Right. So without us going in and picking up all the pieces, it's not going to cure itself. No, it's not. Obviously, the objects are radioactive, but is the radioactivity seeping into the general location? Or is it if you were to dig in the sand and you found one of these things, that would be the danger? Or is it permeating through the, the landscape? They they don't think it really is. They think it's really just on objects. So if you pick up a glowing rock from that beach, you're in trouble. Yep. But most things are going to be fine. But the thing is, it can break down. You know, if you have that radioactive dial and it breaks, it smashes, little parts of it are going to be in the sand. So it's difficult to tell exactly what's going to be radioactive and what's not. There's part of me that thinks Scotland has seen how successful as a tourist attraction the Loch Ness Monster has been, and you're going for another Hulk. That's <laughs> that's what it is. Jim, you said you would have gone there anyway just because you are a science geek and you want to find out, the, visit the places that elements have been discovered. So tell us about the history of how radium was discovered then. Before I even do, I just if you want another tourist attraction in Scotland, 
Mm. Right? There's one element on the periodic table that is named after a place in the UK, and it comes from Scotland, and it's Strontium. Uh, it comes from a little village called Strontian in the west of Scotland, which means nose of the Pixie in Gaelic. And that's where one of the elements was discovered. It's the only place named after a place in the UK. And I did go there. I went there. There's nothing there. There's just a hillside. <laughs> but I went there just to look at the hill. Just soak up the strontium vibes. Why, why is it named after that particular place? Was the guy who discovered it from there? It's just, it's where they found it. So there was a, there was a mine. Um, oh, they found where, it there? Yeah, they, they found it there. They just, they, like there was, as they mined, they were getting, I don't know, like iron or something from the rocks. And there was this whole heap of stones that were just rejected from the mine. And there was a, a doctor out walking one day and he's like, oh, these are interesting minerals. I'm going to take them away with me. And he did. And he noticed that if he put them in a fire, they started glowing red. And they glowed red because they contained strontium. And that's how a new element was discovered, just from a waste heap from a mine. It never ceases to amaze me the lateral brain jumps that smart people can make to go, I've got a thing. I'm going to do another thing to the thing to see, oh, look, it's a new thing. I'm like, oh, I'd never think that way. I'd go, that's a rock. I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> uh, that was a science in the 1800s. It was just like, just set fire to it. Or see eat what it. happens. See what happens. Or eat it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at, at the most, you'd use it as a paperweight or throw it at a, a new form of transport. That's the most you'd do, Dave, isn't it? That's the most I would do <laughs> as well. Okay, that's strontium. Go to radium. Yeah, yeah. So radium was discovered by the, the most famous element hunter out there Marie Curie Marie Curie and Pierre Curie discovered um, radium you can look at old drawings of them holding up this glowing vial um, because they discovered uh, two elements and radium was one of them and at the time they just they didn't know the risks it was all completely new mm. and it's like Marie Curie after she discovered it and there was people asking is there health concerns she's like, oh, I don't know if there is so she just got a bit of it and she stuck it to her skin and she just wore it for a little while and then when her skin started to blister and ulcer she said oh yeah maybe actually there is some concerns because they just didn't know it was trying things for the first time um because these were totally new discoveries and she died pretty early didn't she she did. I mean, the, the Curies are quite a family. So Marie Curie, she, I think it was 62 Marie Curie lived until. Her husband, um, 46. Now, he, he was killed by a horse and cart. But even if that horse and cart hadn't finished him off, he was he was dying of radioactivity really? poisoning anyway. Her daughter died pretty early on, as did her son-in-law. So they all worked with radioactivity. They all died pretty early, except... Eve Curie, who was Marie Curie's other daughter, and um, she lived to 102. Oh. No scientist. She played piano. You so, see. Uh, <laughs> she also was the only person in that family not to win a Nobel Prize. So, like, science, <laughs> there's risk. I can see uh, Jamie's, a, Jamie's absolutely going, like, she's the loser. Like, the other ones are all <laughs> yeah. winners. Yeah. Can you, can you imagine the Christmas get-together, and they're all talking about their Nobel Prizes, and then she just goes, I'm going to play a tune. <laughs> Plinky plunky plinky. You're plank, not even plank. radioactive. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what's worse though, right? So, I mean, think about that. The Christmas, she's she's on the piano, right? So your mum wins two Nobel Prizes. Your dad wins a Nobel Prize. Your sister wins a Nobel Prize. Your brother-in-law wins a Nobel Prize. To add insult to injury, her husband had to collect the Nobel Prize on behalf of his organisation. <laughs> Everyone around her. <laughs> do you think there's any chance that she killed all the rest of the family? <laughs> She, she was the mastermind. She was dropping radium into their tea every morning. No, I'd say it was like Cluedo. They were killed with the actual physical Nobel Prize in the <laughs> lab by <laughs> Professor X, Y, and Z. Um, there are radioactive, there's naturally radioactive places in the world. Like I read about a beach, um, I think it was in Brazil, 
that would just be naturally radioactive. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, radium is a naturally occurring element. Uh, there's a lot of radioactive elements around there. So there's places like that beach in Brazil you're saying. Um, even Aberdeen has quite high levels of radioactivity because it's got granite, and granite has uh, various elements that break down, create radon, uh, gas. So yeah, where you go in the world, radiation is just a fact of life. It happens. And- are those areas like the beach Neil mentioned and Aberdeen, are they dangerous? I realize there's some people saying right now, yeah, Aberdeen's dangerous on a Saturday night at 10 o'clock. But like, you know what I mean? But are, like, are the levels of radioactivity anything to worry about? In most cases, no. So some right. some places um, like Aberdeen have been advised or in some places in America advised to have radon gas detectors for basements in case you build up a concentration of these gases. But most of the time, we're surrounded by background radiation all the time. So every time you fly in a plane you're getting higher than normal levels of radioactive exposure Uh, a lot of people talk about the radioactivity of bananas because they contain potassium Uh, most of the time it's nothing to worry about okay dave you're gonna i don't know you're gonna find it interesting and quite sad years ago on on the radio show uh there was a book released about women particularly women in the u.s who used to make watches with radium and um have you ever heard this story no well, I'll actually let Jamie tell you because it's uh, it just points to the fact that people had no idea of the effects of it. Jamie? When Marie Curie discovered it, she was kind of wanted people to use her discoveries. She didn't want it to lock it away. So she right. told everyone how she discovered it, which meant everyone wanted to use it. And she oh. had this big boom of use of radium. And um, it was used for like making watch dials and things like that. Uh, and to make that, you had um, they'd bring in young girls to paint these little dials. And to make sure they were getting really fine details, they would dip their uh, paintbrush in the radium paint, they'd paint a little bit, then they'd lick it to <gasps> form a nice tip on the, the paintbrush. Oh, wow. And they would carry on painting the dials and again and again, and just getting tiny levels of exposure to this radium paint every single day. And they started saying, well, we're having negative health effects. And it was dismissed. No, you're not. You're not. They were. And um, they, they took the manufacturers to, to court and they were eventually awarded $10,000. But they a lot of them died just a few yeah. years later because this is dangerous stuff. And like, was the logic of using the radium paint that the dial would go on the dark? That's exactly it. Yep. So it would it would glow in the dark. And it wasn't just dials that were used. Radium was seen as this miracle cure. So you could get um, a radium tonic to uh, fix baldness. Ironically, it would cause baldness. Yeah. Uh, you could get a special radium pack to wear in your pants to increase fertility. So let's stop you there for a second, Jim. I'm trying to understand. So when Marie Curie discovered radium, what did science think or she think or what did the world think the benefits of it were as opposed to you know what we know that it's used for what like what were they what was she seeing that was going wear it around your waist or you know whatever else they were talking about doing they were just kind of going cool it does what <laughs> they, they didn't know they just didn't understand so they were just like this glows in the dark it's magic so this magic substance, maybe it can grow hair. Maybe they, they had like radium toothpaste to make your teeth glow. There was radium chocolate. You could have a bath with radium. The only saving grace is that most of these were just nonsense. It's called radioactive quackery. Right. And so they actually, the radium baths didn't contain any radium. The radium hair tonics often didn't contain any radium. That's the only thing that saved people. Otherwise, they would die because this is poison. That is insane. It strikes me that I should ask, or you should ask, Dave, the most simple question, which is, when something is described as radioactive, we all have an idea in our head what that means, but what actually does it mean? 
random activity is effectively taking one element and breaking it apart into a different element. And when you do that, it gives off some um, high energy. So in the case of radium, um, radium decays. So radium starts off as a little radium atom, and then a, a little piece breaks off, and that then becomes radon. So it was radium, now it's radium plus a little bit. And that little bit can go flying off with high energy, enough energy to knock parts of your DNA out and mess around with you. That's why you get like, radiation poisoning. So it's an atom that's breaking down into something else. Wow. Yeah, it's that energy that causes the the, the damage, essentially. Yeah. Um, so go on, give us a few more stories, because when I spoke to Jamie, like we spoke for a while about other favorite elements he had. And I know there's one he loves, and you're going to love this, Dave. Go and on. it was discovered in Romania. Oh, yeah. I, I, the, the periodic table is like, it's like an advent calendar. Behind every little door, there's a, a story, a tale, a discovery, a use. Right. Um, so my favorite one, my favorite one is one that I used to work with. So as a chemist, I used to work with bismuth and I used to work with tellurium. And tellurium is the only element discovered in Romania. And the element has a really unusual property. So if you touch it or you breathe it in, you'll get tellurium poisoning. And stage one of tellurium poisoning is you reek of garlic incredibly strongly what there was actually someone in, in glasgow was put off the bus because he had stage one tellurium poisoning and he smelled <laughs> so strongly of garlic they put him off the bus oh no way God. yeah how did he get it it's so easy to do because you, you just need to touch it or you need to breathe it in he was working with it yeah yeah he was working yeah. with it yeah he was, he was at the, the school of chemistry was it you were you put <laughs> it off the wasn't, bus it wasn't it wasn't i think I, I think i might have had it once though because really? i'd work with it every single day and it's not a terribly dangerous element it's just that weird effect of you smelling like garlic okay. um, stage two tellurium poisoning is your nails uh, turn black what so like stage <laughs> stage three is death but stage one and two are quite funny <laughs> We've not even got to the good part yet. Not oh even, so, so you're, you're reeking of garlic. Your nails are black. You're nearly right? dead. This is why I love it. Only element to be discovered in Romania. Or what was at the time? Transylvania. Transylvania. <laughs> Only element discovered in Transylvania makes you reek of garlic. Oh, my God. There is God. a scientific vampire story waiting to be written. <laughs> there is. It's just, there's a DC comic guy going, okay, hang on. We've got to get this one right. <laughs> Oh, but what's that used for, by the way? It makes semiconductors, so it, like electronic components for things. At the periodic table, like, are we done? Is it is it finished? Or are there still thousands and millions of more elements to be discovered? Depends how you ask. Um, but basically, no, we're not finished. Uh, they added three new elements in 2015. So like when you were at school, did you have a periodic table in your classroom yeah. wall? Yeah. That will be well out of date by now. Wow. Because a new element is added about every two years. So we're up to 118 now. And they expect that there's going to be at least another one added within the next five years. I'm going to either feel like I'm really old or else I was just misled. But I do remember there being 90 periodic elements. Is that not? Am I crazy? Well, either you're a lot older than you look. (laughs) (laughs) Or my teachers were skimping on the budget. That was it. We can only afford 90 elements. (laughs) Yeah. Pick the ones you like. You'll be thinking of the naturally occurring elements. There's there's about 90 that are naturally occurring, and the rest are artificially made. And they've been made since we started messing around with nuclear weapons in the 50s. Okay. If you if you uh, discover a new element and then you go, I want to call it after my dog, Lolium, or something like this, who decides and goes, no, you're not allowed to call it that? 
there, there is a group that decide actually um so if you discover it then you can suggest something to them there's a group called iupac the international union of pure and applied chemists and they get to decide whether or not your element is added to the table and whether or not your name is accepted and there's different trends and fashions for names so when it first started it was named after properties so it might be named after what color it looked like okay then that kind of fell out of fashion like, oh we don't want to name it after properties now let's name it after gods let's have things like mercury uh, and then like ah, oh, we don't want that anymore let's do places let's do places and then let's do people so you've got curium einsteinium uh just now we're in a, a name after people phase so that's that's what we've been doing lately like i always think the periodic table can give rise to so many heavy metal bands i mean you mentioned bismuth there but i mean like I, if you if you draw it in the right way bismuth is a good logo name you know sticky out bit of the b sticky out bit of the h I'm seeing death metal here, left, right, and there center. Is, I've seen t-shirts like that, actually, with the heavy elements written in those, those fonts. <laughs> I don't know how he does it, but no matter what we start talking about, he always brings it back to heavy metal. I don't know how he does, but it's just it's actually a skill, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> Coincidentally, aren't there heavy metals in the periodic table? Yeah, loads of them. <laughs> you see, Neil? <laughs> Sorry, you broke up there, Dave. You broke up. There was a little, <laughs> little bit of interference on the line there. Uh, you know, you said about uh, radium that it it has a half life. of, Did you say sixteen hundred years? Yeah. If okay, if we don't get involved, are there things that can actually materially affect radioactive waste? And the reason I ask this is because the recent war in Ukraine, I read about research being interrupted in Chernobyl, where they're actually studying bacteria that can get rid of uh, radioactive waste. This is really interesting. So the issue is, like, when you say get rid of radioactive waste, this is yeah. you need to be really careful in the language here. So yeah, there's bacteria which you can introduce into radioactive sites and they will ingest radioactive material. But, and there's a really big but here, radioactive decay is a, a nuclear process. So it takes place in the nucleus and basically nothing can stop that. So it is going to break apart. So what these bacteria are doing is it's making it easier to collect it. So you might put the bacteria into water. So you can't filter the water, but if you put the bacteria in, they're going to eat up the radioactive material and maybe leave it as a solid. So it will settle down at the bottom and then you can scoop it out. So it's not going to stop the elements being radioactive, but it's going to make them much easier to find them and remove them by turning them into a solid. And is there enough, do you think, in the bacterium, is there enough to, for example, a body of water to rid the water of the radioactivity or is it just to collect some of it? Well, right now they're really just trying it out because this mm. is this is pretty new stuff. Uh, and I guess enough bacteria could purify the water. Um, but things like nuclear disasters, cleaning up after them is such a new thing that no one is entirely sure what's best to, to try. So it's just one of the ways that they're trying to make things a little bit better or trying to get the next generation of superheroes. Well, actually, superheroes <laughs> is interesting because you've mentioned them a couple of times. And I wonder, when we hear things in superhero movies, um, for example, say the adamantium claws that Wolverine has, or aren't, isn't there something like Vibranium or vibranium, something? One yeah. of the Marvel things, whatever. And Summers. <laughs> Are these in any way based in reality? Is there an adamantium? Is there a vibranium? Or are these just words they've made up that sound like they're part of the periodic table? They're, they're words that sound like they belong in the periodic table. But but there's different properties. So like if you want a metal that is really strong, it's on the periodic table. Yeah, the weaving of science and fiction, 
that's where the fun stuff happens. I just thought Adamantium was an interesting one. Like whether they're naming them after any other eighties pop stars like Lemalium, George Michaelium. Why Adamant? <laughs> I mean, I don't know why he got so he got so popular. They had to take buried literium off the uh, periodic table. <laughs> <laughs> this is where Dr. Jimmy goes, I'm not even going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> Leave this one to Dave and Neil. <laughs> Before you go, Dr. Jamie, give us one more discovery of an element and use story. Okay. Because these would, I'm going to say, I was going to say, because these are gold, but that's probably too specific to you. Um, but you know what I mean? Okay, I'll, t- I'll tell you another story about uh, a periodic table element then. Um, and it's one that you'll be pretty familiar with. So okay. it'll be in your kitchen. You call it tinfoil. It's not made of tin, although tin is an element. It's made of aluminium, so it's aluminium foil. And now we make drinks cans. Aluminium is everywhere. You will be sitting within one meter of some aluminium right now. Wasn't always the case. Uh, So we've known about it for for quite a long time. But if you go back to the 1800s, it was incredibly difficult to find because they couldn't use electricity. We use electricity to separate it out now and get pure aluminium. They couldn't do that in the 1800s. You had to find it as a nugget, which was incredibly Mm. rare. Because it was rare, it was expensive. And aluminium was one of the precious elements. There was gold, silver, platinum, and aluminium. So to show off his lavish wealth, Napoleon III had plates made of aluminium. And if you were um, visiting royalty in the court of Napoleon III, you would be served on an aluminium platter. If you were just a duke or a duchess, you would have to make do with a solid gold plate because aluminium was preserved only for the most elite. And it's just because in the 1800s, we couldn't process it cheaply enough. And the disappointing thing was if you if you were served your dinner on the aluminium plate, it would just collapse inwardly because it was just a piece of tin foil and your beef stroganoff went all over your lap. You're like, this is disappointing. Another one. You'll love this one, right? Yeah. There is one element that is designed to be passed down from father to son. Okay. Ooh. It's disgusting. <laughs> so one of the an element called antimony. Antimony lives down in Poisoner's Corner on the periodic table. And um, the powerful effect that antimony has is if you take in an antimony pill, it's an incredibly potent laxative, like immediate kick in, wow, powerful. But antimony is also expensive. And so once you used it, you would reclaim the pill and reuse it. Bye. And it was so expensive (laughs) that it was passed down through the generations from father to son. And it was known as the never-ending laxative or the family laxative. Oh, my God. How badly did they need to poo? What was happening? This has been passed down from my father to me, and it shall now pass through my intestine in quite the same way. And how many goals would you get out of this thing? Generation after generation after generation. Yeah, absolutely. Because your body doesn't, it just rejects it. That's what your body's doing. It's like, oh my God, we don't want to eat this. Get Get rid of it. Get out. I told you, that science is, in the 1800s, it was set fire to everything or eat it. Or eat it. That is one of those things where where young like suffragette women were looking at them going, yeah, there's some things that we don't want to get involved with. You can have that. Look, we'll get the vote and universal suffrage, but you can have the, it went into your dad's shithole. <laughs> Come out your shithole thing. It's your mouth. It's the worst ever. Oh, my God. Do you know something? Oh. Even if the radioactive speech story hadn't been good enough for this episode, which it is. <laughs> For you to end on that, for you to have, first of all, the fact that there is a place called Poisoner's Corner on the periodic table is fantastic. Oh, Dr. Jamie, thank you so much. 
No problem at all. I hope you've told that story on loads and loads of podcasts. And one day my son will have a podcast and we will get you on to tell him that story of Antimony and it will somehow seem apt. Dr. Jamie Gallagher, you have disgusted us and amazed us in equal measure. What more can a scientist ask for? Thank you. Welcome back to part three of Why Would You Tell Me That? Well, Dave, now, I actually didn't know that antimony was going to come up. <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe you did, and you decided just to spring this one on me. And just so you know, I have my own children. I'm not doing a podcast antimony pass ritual. It's not <laughs> happening, okay? How disappointed would you be if what you were left in the will was a thing that made your dad and your grandfather and your great-grandfather have a poo i just don't understand why they were so desperate to have poos that they would they, they need to do this <laughs> yeah. and then pass it down to the next generation it's like your brothers and just sisters their their part of the will is all beautiful yeah. calligraphy and then you turn it over and yours is just the emoji and your dad's smiley face the, the, the poo emoji and a pill emoji and a smiley face and a thumbs yeah. up i guarantee you people are going to ask us to get jamie back on to talk about other elements because there's so many so i think you might be hearing from him again I certainly hope so. Uh, okay, uh, we should tell you that you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Why Would You Tell Me That? He's at Neil Dalmer Comedy. I'm at Dave Today FM. We're proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. And wherever you're listening to this, please like, subscribe, follow, do whatever the language is, wherever you are, so that you can stay abreast of all things Why Would You Tell Me That? Because let's face it, you do not want to miss an episode like the one Jamie just gave us. Yes, so it is up to you. I've told you a weird auction story. I've told you something you frankly didn't want to know, but will never be able to forget about Antimony. What have you got for me next week? Well, Neil Delamere, I will answer the eternal question, which is why would you get a squid drunk? I cannot wait. Um, Listen to him on the radio. Go to me on tour. We'll talk to you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 